0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation.
1: Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive, sought-after, rare, and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.
0: Y'all, I'm so weird. I love Mondays. And I love welcoming people to Mondays with a WOMED episode. And this week, we have Dr. Marcus Tellez sitting with us at our beautiful Airbnb in Long Beach, the Mint Casa. This one was really fun for me. Like, I I got to watch Jack fangirl.
2: Oh, I totally fangirled. And you know what? I am unashamed about it. I love him. I follow him. I've bought his pottery. I have the cutest little plant in it. It's sitting next to my window. So Dr. Tellez works in primary care and specifically with LGBT patients, and that's something I'm really passionate about and something that I've thought about specializing in myself. So I was so excited to sit down with him, and ugh, this episode's incredible.
0: Jack, this week we had a really beautiful submission from Lauren.
2: Yes, I know. Lauren sent us her NDE through our website, womedpodcast dot um, If you're not on IG, we wanted to offer a special way to leave your NDEs, so you
0: can do it through our website or leave us a DM. Either way, Lauren wrote in: My nursing school experience has definitely been a journey. I applied to my school's four year nursing program two years in a row and got wait listed. <laughs> okay, we're gonna try. She that got out. wait. She got, waste. <laughs> she got wait listed. Wait, yeah. I mean, we all did, right? Um, Got waitlisted both years. After being waitlisted the second year, I knew I needed to figure something out and could not continue applying to the program every year. So my plan was to do the accelerated nursing program at my school. But for that, I needed to get a bachelor's degree in something else first. So I got that degree in health science, and after four years of being in a degree that I knew I did not fully enjoy, I finally got accepted into the Accelerated Nursing Program. Now here I am, about to graduate in a month, and already have my dream job lined up as a labor and delivery nurse. Woohoo! When I got the call being offered that job, I cried. After so much work and effort to get my nursing degree in that moment, it felt like it had all finally paid off. There were so many times throughout my schooling that I felt like this wasn't for me and that I don't belong. Definitely some major imposter syndrome throughout my nursing school career. Sometimes I still feel that way, but I think after so long working towards this, it almost doesn't feel real. For the last seven years, being a labor and delivery nurse has been my dream, and now it's finally happening. Wow. Oh, what a beautiful story! Thank you so much, Lauren, for sharing
2: that. I know so many people; they need to hear a story like that right now. Mm-hmm. I am—we are both so happy for you.
0: Okay, I've got to be honest—I'm a little burnt out on Grey's. Don't hate me, and I'm worried that we just don't have enough people watching it over with us uh, to understand what we're talking about in each segment. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but we did write in a "won't no for today, though. We had a—we had a write-in. Oh, yes. Yes, we did. Sorry. <laughs> do you like that? It rhymes. I do. I do really like okay, that. You're such a dork. Yes, but. I am. Okay. Um, I did see the write-in for Yellowstone Season 4 and honestly, I've been too cheap and haven't had the time to pay for the first couple seasons, so I can follow along with season four, but I did read up on it, and I love that the medical community loves to show up and complain about medical inaccuracies. So, um, Jack, have you watched it? Do you know what we're talking about? Oh,
2: have I watched Yellowstone? Danielle, come on. Do you
0: even know me? I mean, it could go either way. This is I like,
2: cannot believe that you haven't watched Yellowstone. I'm like really disappointed. I know I really need to. Okay. Well, you need to watch just, me for $20. No, I'm just kidding. everyone. <laughs> for those of you who have watched Yellowstone, you know you can stand behind me and that Danielle needs to watch it just for Rip, the character Rip. Okay. Maybe I'll just find him on social media. Okay. No, it's like not him as an actor. It's like his character. It's oh, like his okay. character. So you just need to watch, and everyone's like, they know what I'm talking about. If you've seen the show, like you need to watch all three seasons, like you need to catch yourself up and we'll watch this episode of season four.
0: Okay. And then we will break down season four. Exactly. Well, I think we have a wono fail for this week then. I guess <laughs> I have a lot of more TV I need to watch. I have no
2: life. You either need to regroup so we can watch more Greys or I'm telling you, I think we need to move on to Nurse Jackie. I think it's our sign. I think you just want to watch Nurse Jackie because her name's I Jackie. No, I definitely don't. If anything, it's the exact opposite because patients and like co-workers, they love to make that joke reference. And I'm like, yeah, I've never heard that before. Good one. Burn, Jack. Like, burn. Yeah. I know. Well, I got to speak my truth. Okay. i hope people are listening. I'm really, it is like the worst. I'm like, so at first I used to like make the joke like, yeah, haha, it's me, but like, I don't have an opioid addiction. Haha. <laughs> but then I was like, that's inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I know. It was just like an awkward silence after every time I would try to make this joke. So I'm like, okay, the joke's dead. I need to stop. So now I just go, ha, ha yeah, I've never heard that. You're so funny. Hmm. Yeah, I know. But anyway, whoa no fail. Whoa, no fail. We have Dr. Marcus Telez with us here on the Womed and you are someone that I've looked up to for a long time on social media. And I'm so excited that you're here to have this conversation with us. So Marcus is a board certified family medicine physician that specializes in LGBT care and HIV care. And I am just like off the bat, I'm just so interested in how you got into that specialty specifically. Like, is that something that coming out of residency as a family medicine physician, did you know you wanted to specialize in that right away?
3: Yeah, actually, I mean, I guess my path in medicine was kind of funny. I I went to med school and then I originally thought I was actually going to go into OBGYN. I liked women's health a lot. I just particularly enjoy taking care of women and women's health sort of uh, related health issues. But then I wanted to also focus on HIV and pregnancy and focus on transgender health and doing transitional care for them. But then I didn't match. I scrambled. It was a whole process and mess and it was a nightmare. But I landed in family medicine. And so I kind of just sort of had to like look at myself and decide what is it that I actually want to do with my career. And I remember my very last rotation before I finished medical school, I was given this article on LGBT primary care. And I had never heard of that concept, that idea um, so I read the article. It was from the uh, from the Cleveland Clinic, actually, and it kind of just changed my perspective on what else I could do with medicine. So as family medicine, I realized that I could do the whole gambit of LGBT healthcare, and that's sort of the road that I decided to go on from there.
0: That's awesome. That also makes me wonder, though, about this whole match system. As a nurse, just seems so bizarre to me. Like your whole future depends on if you get matched in a certain area that you might not even like or want to do. Yeah.
3: It's it's a nightmare and then like you're already in so much debt and then you pay thousands of more dollars just to apply to places and maybe get an interview. <laughs> Truly just it's a terrible thing process and it's very flawed
2: it's such like a scam and we were actually just talking about this as nurses that something so that we're so grateful for in our career is we have that option to change specialties it's so fluid yeah so fluid and you can laterally change your specialty honestly whenever you want so the pressure of that as a resident as a physician or medical student to match and that kind of determines what the rest of your life is going to look like Mm -hmm. i mean how do you make a decision like that yeah when you're just when you're a medical student, I don't know, so much pressure. Yeah,
3: no, it's not easy, and it's really come under fire more recently from various uh, like medical social media accounts. So I'm glad that it's getting talked about more, as opposed to just
0: this
2: is how it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and we'll definitely like dive into more about this article that you spoke about. You know, in terms of health disparities with LGBT care. But for the listener that maybe is hearing this conversation for the first time and has not really heard about. LGBT care specifically, can you give like the listener a general idea of what that means and like what your practice looks like?
3: Yeah. So in regards to LGBT health, it's just being aware that people have different gender identities, different sexualities. Sexual health is a big component about it. Uh, Talking about STI screening, something that I take for granted because I think everybody just knows how to do STI screening, but I'll have patients every week who have never had accurate, good STI testing, and then later come down with an STI that was untreated for months. Wow. Just having conversations about HIV, HIV care, HIV prevention, Mm -hmm. uh, transgender affirming care, whether that includes hormones, surgeries, just sort of identifying as who they are, having those sort of conversations with people that we really weren't taught in med school.
2: Right, Mm -hmm. right. And yeah, it is. I mean, it's definitely almost like a subspecialty, I would say. And, you know, in Chicago, I'm doing my final clinical rotations for this entire year in a primary care clinic that serves a very wide LGBT population. We do a lot of prep, a lot of HIV care, a lot of trans care as well. And I have to say, in Chicago, we are so lucky to have so many resources for people. We have a great uh, gender affirming program at Northwestern, one of the best university hospitals In the country, we have a lot of centers, a lot of resources, uh, therapy to send folks to. And it's really we're really lucky. And I would imagine L.A. is probably similar. I would think like New York, L.A., Chicago, these big cities probably have a lot of resources. But I always think about the other side. Like what what does LGBT care look like in anywhere besides a major city? Yeah. yeah. I
3: mean, I think it just means listening to your patients and caring about what they care about it it is sort of like a subspecialty, like you said, but also it should just be just like regular healthcare, like <laughs> listening to your patients and attending to their needs.
1: Ah, hmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy.
2: I saw you post about something um, in regards to PrEP saying that primary care doctors should know how to prescribe PrEP. Mm -hmm. This is not something that patients should have to go to a special clinic to get this is something no, absolutely. that
3: Absolutely. I I have countless patients who have switched primary care doctors because their primary care doctor will tell them, Oh, PrEP is like a specialty pill. Like you have to go to an infectious disease specialist or you have to go to a special doctor for that. And it's literally one of the easiest medications to yeah. prescribe and monitor. Yeah. Like it's not complex at all.
2: Yeah. That's sad. Like, have you ever had a not like altercation, but like, have you ever had a situation with another
0: physician where you're just like, like, why don't you understand this? Like, <laughs> um, why don't you want to
3: <laughs> learn this? In residency, I won't say that I got pushback for prescribing prep. I remember the first time I brought up the topic, they were like, um, well, we don't really know anything about that. Like, that's, I don't know if that's family medicine. It's like, yes, it is. Like, it's primary care, it's prevention, like, it's very mm-hmm. easy. And then they did a bunch of lectures on it. And I got kind of in trouble for talking about the same thing over and over but my point was (laughs) that it's very easy primary care should be doing this yeah yeah
2: Yeah. it's almost like I don't think that a lot of people know what primary care (laughs) is and that's why I'm also really grateful that you have created such a creative and fun and educational platform on social media because Nowadays, this
0: is how people are getting their information.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. People are going to Google. Yeah. People are going wherever they're gonna go. They're searching Uh, different hashtags. They're trying to, they're well, they're learning a lot of other information. Doing their own research. (laughs) They're doing their own research. But I feel like especially with the type of content that you post, you're also you're providing more information that isn't normally talked about. Like, it's definitely not taught in nursing school, at least when I went to nursing school. But patients need to feel safe when they're being taken care of. Mm-hmm. And they need to also feel seen by who they're being taken care of. And I think that just patients are going to feel more comfortable if they see themselves in you.
3: No, absolutely.
0: That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah,
3: no, absolutely. And that's that's what I, I try to do, you know. I going to med school, I didn't really have any mentor or somebody that I, I saw myself in. There's this point of view of like academic people and being able to express yourself in a very articulate way. And I've just never been very articulate with myself. I just like saying the things how I say them so that other people can easily understand it. Mm-hmm. And that's my that's my biggest goal with my platform is just to provide education on various health topics in a way that people don't feel diminished by or feel like they're not smart enough to understand. I just want it to be easily accessible to everybody.
0: Yeah. You are
2: just like unapologetically yourself yeah. on social media.
3: <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs>
2: and now like it's like you're a physician now. You work at an incredible clinic in downtown LA. Was, I'm not sure if it's downtown. But I just made that up. But it, I know it's in LA. <laughs> so that sounds cool though. You're extremely accomplished, but I, I imagine like, yes, medicine is like one of the least conform. you know, they don't always accept yeah. non-conforming mm-hmm. behaviors, language, appearance, sexuality. So mm-hmm. like, how, how was that journey for you being yourself? Like, have you always been this unapologetically yourself?
3: Um, I don't think so. I mean, I've always wanted to be the way that I am now. I think I did it in small doses. But obviously, like, when you first get into medicine, you have to have a certain appearance, talk a certain way. And I think I probably really did tone myself down a bit, Um, even applying to med school. Like, I remember people were like... (laughs) Cause I would, I would take these very, I don't know if they're artistic but looking back, it's probably very fringe, <laughs> but I would do like all these, all these weird photos, Photoshop of myself and people are like, you know, no one's going to take you seriously. If you have like, I used to have a bleached part in my hair. No mm-hmm. one's going to take you seriously yeah. as a doctor with a bleached part in your hair. Yeah. You need to cut that out. You need to take down these photos. You need to stop getting tattoos. Like you have to look professional to get into any sort of medical field. And I I guess I probably toned myself down a little bit to try to fit in. Work but the at system. the end of the day, I was just like, you know what? Like, who cares? Like, as long as patients feel comfortable that they can talk to me and open up, that's the biggest thing. If if your patient is awkward and uncomfortable around you and can't open up to tell you about how they're feeling, then that sucks. Yeah. Like, yeah. you're not providing good care. Totally. Yeah. <laughs>
0: totally. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have any other doctors in the family or were you like, no, this is, this is the path for me. I want to be a physician.
3: Um, I, my older cousin, she was the first in our family to go into medicine. She's an oncologist now props to her. Um, (laughs) no, I wanted, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a mermaid, a vampire, (laughs) a pop singer, (laughs) a mad scientist, um, couldn't sing, realized the other ones weren't viable career options. And I was just like. (laughs) But they should be.
0: You can. You can be a mermaid. They they perform. You you get to wear a swim tail. It's not too late for you. You You have an an oxygen hose at the bottom of a tank and you can like swim and like. (laughs) Wait, really? Yeah. Where have you, have you seen this? I think it's
2: probably a Dolly got too, like, or like at least in Vegas. Florida
3: like, yeah. used to, when I was when I was a child. They used <laughs> to have a, a park in Florida, like in Wikiwashi. They had the mermaids with the tubes and the yeah. horses. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but yeah, and then I just realized like I was good at school. Like, I was good at math. Good at science. And then I had quite a few family members who had health issues, cancer and stuff like that. And I was just like, okay, I'm gonna be a doctor.
2: Wow. And so I'm curious more about this article that you talked about that was kind of like a, a pivotal moment for you and directing you to first start to see LGBT care specifically through a lens in primary care. And, you know, I want to say first, like, It's really cool for me as like a, you know, I've talked on the podcast before about being a family nurse practitioner student with a um, desire to get into primary care because there are disgusting amounts of health disparities in this country and there's a huge primary care crisis. It's part of the reason why nurse practitioners and PAs are starting to become more common is because a lot of physicians do not want to get into primary care. And so it's really, it's been so just I don't want to say validating, but it's been so special to, to find you and find other primary care providers, especially on social media. I think it shows people that um, there's this like misconception that primary care is like not cool yeah. when like, I think it's the <laughs> fucking coolest. I'm like, yeah. no, like STI prevention is the fucking coolest. Like birth control is the fucking coolest. Like, uh, you know, Keeping people out of the hospital is fucking cool. So like It's very cool. Yeah. So I just like want your perspective on that because like I get it and I just like I I wish that more people understood that.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I was one of those people that didn't really want to do primary. Well, I guess OBGYN is still technically primary yes. care, right? Mm-hmm. I guess I really initially I was hesitant towards it because Primary care is a lot. Like it encompasses a lot of things. And I think that was very overwhelming at first to like consider. Um, But I think the best advice just I got about primary care, family medicine in general, is like know what you know and do that well. And what you're not comfortable with, what you don't know, that's what specialists are for. That's why you refer. Yeah. Um, Don't ever do something that you're not comfortable with. Right. Which I guess, I guess that's why some primary care people don't want to do HIV prep, but it's uh, very easy. You don't have to be a specialist to do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, right. Yeah.
2: It comes back. You, you should not have to, patients should not have to go seek an LGBT care clinic Absolutely. to get yeah. the care that they need. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Is it like a certificate program or like advanced training that you have to get for it or just people or positions just like, I just don't want to touch it. Yeah,
3: it's pretty much that. I mean, I'll, even, even in training, like, I guess, I don't know. I've just been very open and vocal about, like, sexual health. If, you, if Doctors are still very awkward asking sexual history. Are you sexually active with men, women, both, anything in between? How are you having sex? Like, where are you having sex? Like, I will have a lot of patients that will come for STI testing, sexually transmitted uh, infections. Sorry, I don't want to just uh, say acronyms for the sake of saying them, but um, <laughs> it's a
2: medical
0: based uh, community. You're good. <laughs> if you don't
2: if you're listening, don't know what an STI is, go back to school. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. we love you.
3: But I'll have patients who come in for STI testing and they've never had a throat swab mm. and they've had oral sex and they'll be like, yeah, I went to four different doctors for this sore throat. They kept telling me it's strep, mm. I've been under all these courses of antibiotics. Mm. And am just like, are you having oral sex? Like, what? Like, are you having oral sex? Like, no one, no doctor's ever asked no, me that. Right. Yeah. I was like, well, I'm asking you, are you? And like, yeah. I was like, okay, we should swab your throat for gonorrhea and chlamydia. Like, mm. nobody's ever done that. And it's just wild to me. Even, even when I was going to medical school, we had a, a medical student clinic. And I would, I went one time because I wanted to get a full panel of STI testing and they wouldn't do a throat test and i was like what do you mean like we don't know how to do that i was like you literally get a swab and you order the test
0: (gasps) yeah (laughs) you say ah (laughs) you swab back there you put it in a tube and you order the fucking test
3: (laughs) but people are they get so awkward talking about sex and i'm like it's part of health like it's very you're so right it's
0: such a we are such a sexually repressed country
3: mm -hmm. Yeah
2: but it is reflected in medicine for sure. Like, I mean, I'm thinking about every time I've gone to the doctor, I'm like, I don't think anyone's ever asked me
0: who about I have sex with, sex. Mm-hmm. how
2: I have sex. Mm-hmm. Just and, that
0: are you sexually active? Right. Yeah. Right. So like,
2: do you have any, because you're right. Like I think a lot of healthcare professionals, including myself, I'm sure, you know, Danielle, you, we, we've talked about this before. Like you get, you get nervous sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think like when yeah. I'm training, I've been training in primary care too. And in the beginning, you know, we see like a population with a lot of substance use too. And Mm -hmm. that's something else that I, I would get really nervous to ask, like, you know, okay. Like, do you use any substances? Yes. Heroin. Okay. Well, how much, like a dime Mm -hmm. bag, how are you doing it? You know, who are you doing it with? Like, those are questions that it took a lot of time for me to start getting comfortable asking. So like, what are some tips for, um, not just like people in primary care, but just like in general, do you have any like tips for healthcare professionals to kind of like, ease back that awkwardness?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think you have to focus on yourself first and Mm -hmm. see how you view these topics, Mm -hmm. right? If you have judgment within yourself about like sex or uh, illicit substances, drugs, what have you, it's going to come off when you have those conversations with patients. Mm -hmm. So you need to sort of look at your own viewpoint of it and realize you're not if you're in healthcare, your job is not to judge people or make judgment calls about their life choices. Your job is to make sure they're taking care of themselves. Um, when it comes to like recreational drugs, like if I prescribe control substances with people, I tell them, I was like, listen, I am not judging you on whatever you do outside of this office. Only reason I ask is because I'm prescribing something that could Potentially harm you if you use in combination with xyz i don't i'm not judging you you can do whatever you want i don't promote it but you can do whatever you want <laughs> right. um but if it's you need just... <laughs> help i can direct you to... <laughs> exactly i'm i i love this whole movement of like harm reduction that mm-hmm. people are talking about mm-hmm. now um because yeah we should we shouldn't view these topics as necessarily negative right in a hateful light we should look at it as a way to Uh, empower our patients and sort of make sure they get the best care possible because making judgments and having that sort of negative attitude isn't going to benefit anybody in the long term.
0: It just makes people less likely to seek care and seek help when they need it, Mm
2: -hmm. which has
0: unfortunately
2: led to a lot of health disparities in the LGBT um, population. And, uh, you know, it's 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 in all facets of of health, from cancer to mental health to HIV like I, I'm pretty I, you may have to correct me, but I think it's like something up to seventy percent of new HIV cases are in either gay bisexual or men who have sex with men or MSM communities up to seventy percent it's unfortunate that it 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 has it comes back on one of course society yeah um but to the healthcare professional there's like there's definitely responsibility for healthcare professionals to to like what you just said kind of look in the mirror look at their own. Maybe stereotypes or biases or fears of looking into things that are going to ultimately impact the conversations that you're going to have with your patients and health disparities in LGBT care obviously is multidimensional. Black African American people, Latinx, there's an insane amount of health disparities among those subpopulations as well. And so, like, how do you identify with that? And do you, do you see how how those different facets like in your own life? Do you bring both of those into your care too?
3: Yeah, I mean, I've just, I just, there's still, it depends like where you are, right? Like the U.S. is very uh, diverse in that. Like it's just, it depends where you are. There's different viewpoints, different cultures. There's still a lot of shame about it within people themselves, within healthcare providers. Uh, I mean, for example, like here in California, I guess the insurance companies, once a year they'll cover an HIV test, which I think is great. And I'll have those conversations with people like, hey, it's your physical, like, we should do an annual HIV test. And like, what, what? And they get like, all nervous about it. And it's just a matter of people never having this conversation. It's like, well, you're sexually active, different partners, monogamous, what have you. you, should still consider getting it done once a year. And people still freak out about it. And I think once you're able to sort of be comfortable in yourself talking about those topics, you can put your patients at ease so that they can feel liberated to have that test done and, you know, have conversations with other people about it. Um, Even in uh, even in residency, like I did my residency in a very small town. Well, they might not think it's a small town. Deansville, Florida. Okay. Shout out. <laughs> They're just important conversations that need to be had because the more we talk about it, the less mm-hmm. shame people have mm-hmm. about it, the less stigma, the less misunderstanding. You know, certain celebrities will come out and say things that are completely false about HIV because they just don't know. They they say these things that they have no concept of because we, we shush these conversations. We don't have these conversations openly. Like, HIV is not a death sentence. And there's still people out there who think it is. There's patients who think it is. Um, and they need to know that it's not a death sentence anymore. Your quality of life is significantly improved compared to other chronic conditions. Like, Those are just facts. And the more that we talk about these things, the more they can be normalized and more people can get care. Because I think that's the biggest issue is that there's still so much shame and stigma around it, that there's still people that won't get care. And nobody, nobody in 2021 should be suffering with AIDS. Like, you can get treated for HIV and not have to go through AIDS. Nobody should have to go through that.
2: Yeah, it's almost like um, knowledge that y- that because it's so stigmatized, it- it's not like common knowledge. Like U mm-hmm. equals you, right? Like yeah. undetectable equals untransmittable. Like that should be something. I feel like that every Everyone. nursing student, every doctor, every is like y- that should just be universal. Like we, yeah. we should know that. Oh
3: yeah, I was never taught that in medical no, school. I don't think I learned yeah. that
2: until like I was in an LGBT clinic. Yeah, even in in school.
3: I learned that way later after med school. And I remember the some, I, I can't remember which organization, but Europe was like promoting this like years before it was promoted So maybe for someone that
2: don't know. So if, if for our listeners, maybe that doesn't know what U equals U it means, can you explain real quick?
3: Yeah. So anybody uh, who has HIV, as long as they uh, take their medication, their viral load, the HIV viral load will reach undetectable levels. Um, So, u equals u there's been two very large studies uh in europe that show that uh zero discordant partners so one partner who is hiv positive and one partner who's hiv negative they had unprotected sex multiple times a week for over three years and none of the partners who were hiv negative became hiv positive so as long as someone living with hiv uh, remains on their medications, remains undetectable, they cannot pass HIV to anybody else.
0: I think that just goes to show how important these medications are, how important that knowledge is. I um, was first kind of exposed to this sort of uh, like prep conversation when I went to Africa a couple of years ago. And I was working with this um, basically learning from this community hospital that had been built up over there and learning about their HIV prevention program. And they have community health workers that they've employed throughout the villages that will go out and test. And then they've set up not exactly like a tracking program, but any mother of like birthing age that is HIV positive, they have all their meds provided for them. And they are looking at, they actually just had their first generation of HIV negative babies born to HIV positive moms wow. that reached wow. the two year mark. Wow. So it's really cool. Yeah. Wow. A lot of good work. Wow. <laughs>
2: And it, you like brought up a good point about like having these, um, you know, these conversations about HIV is not a death sentence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And obviously the care has evolved a lot. Can you like just shed a little bit of light on how you navigate those conversations, though? Like you ha- you're you put in a hard position to be the one to have to tell people. So um, or to like educate on PrEP and talk about it. So do you have like any tips for healthcare providers that are also having these conversations? Like, do you kind of come from it in the way that you're talking to us just about it, like kind of more casually? And
3: yeah, I I don't know. I think I've always talked to patients a very, like, just, yeah, casual way. Mm-hmm. I don't try to, like, I don't explain the metabolic pathways <laughs> and like how this blood pressure medication works, like all the different renal right. hormones that interacts with. I just... I just love explaining things in a way that anybody can understand, um, and that's sort of the approach that I, I go about it. So, like uh, most of the time, at least here in LA, people will come to me looking for prep. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I'll just talk to them, it's like, okay, so what do you know about prep? What questions do you have, et cetera? And then they'll ask their questions, and I'll give them answers. LA has been a like night and day from where I did my residency training. So in my residency training. I would have conversations with patients who didn't even know what PrEP was, Um, but they would come in often for STI testing, STI treatment, like, Hey, like you're a great candidate for PrEP. Like, and so they've never even heard of what that was. Um, So it's just important to have those conversations. And then, you know, I think it's really funny that primary care, I think it's getting better, but like for so long, they were so hesitant to jump on board the PrEP train. And then, uh, especially for family medicine, A lot of our board questions come from the uh, U.S. Preventative Task Force guideline Mm -hmm. things. And then when they drop that primary care should be doing prep for all those high risk. I'm like, (laughs) told you. (laughs) Yes,
2: yes. (laughs) That makes me, you know, that's oh, my gosh, that's so funny. But that's like, I mean, that's how you have to do it. I would imagine like you have you don't put the questions in the boards, Mm -hmm. then you're not going to learn it. Yeah, it's just as simple as that. But with these conversations, did it shift at all during the pandemic? Like, were you during the pandemic, did you have to do a lot of telemedicine and
3: or not really? Um, so in residency, we did do telemedicine really early on. And then as I finished residency, and moved out here, it was sort of a hybrid thing. Like, uh, you could choose to do telemedicine or in person. Okay everybody in the office wore masks. Um, They're really good about it. And then as soon as the vaccines rolled out, everybody in the office got. Okay.
2: Cause I was just wondering like what the challenges would be to have these conversations over telemedicine versus in person. But something else that like we were talking about in the clinic recently was this uptick of like home testing and Mm -hmm. like being able to test for, like, I mean, you can do this with a bunch of different mm-hmm. things. Oh, you yeah. can test your vitamin D at home, like, mm-hmm. break your ether, yeah. you you yeah. whatever. Your, like, <laughs> but we had this conversation about like testing for HIV at
3: home mm-hmm.
2: and like the pros and cons to doing this. Oh, yeah.
3: I, I did a post about this once, actually. I love the concept, right? Because not everybody has access to a healthcare provider, not everybody has access to a healthcare provider who's willing to talk about HIV or sexual health. And so I think it's a great resource. My only qualm about it the whole time is just, you know, what if somebody has a positive test? They're at home by themselves. Like, yeah. who, they ha- mm-hmm. who do they have to, like, talk to? The, uh, the one that's approved in the U.S., I think it has, like, some phone line that you can call and talk to somebody. But that's my only qualm about that. But otherwise, I think stuff like that is great.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it definitely takes away maybe some of that fear mm-hmm. of going into an office and, But yeah, that's like a really interesting point. Like that's not—I mean—is that a diagnosis that you want to be at home alone Mm -hmm. getting? You're gonna have to go to the doctor's office, anyway. So, you know, anyway, I was just like
0: interested by that. But it's just sad to think that it—that people are still so not just like scared of the diagnosis, but
3: scared to go to their scared to go to their own healthcare provider
0: Mm -hmm. and have them or like the feeling that they might be looked at differently mm-hmm. if they have a positive result. Yeah. It just feels so, it just, and it's thought of taking a test at home. feels so dark and scary to me. Yeah. For that. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: can't imagine. Obviously. Yeah. Do you have any like insight? Cause, because obviously like you specialize in this, you Ooh. see this every day, you have these conversations every day, maybe for the healthcare professional that isn't necessarily in primary care or is specializing in LGBT care. Like, maybe for someone that's working in the ED where they're like, their interactions are so quick, you know, what are some things that healthcare professionals can do to provide more inclusive and affirming care, like just in like tiny little interactions?
3: So, I mean, particularly if you have a patient who has, who's living with HIV and they have their medications, like, I think it's important for healthcare people to remember that, you can't transmit it just like being in the same room as somebody or shaking hands with somebody i've had quite a few patients who have like bad experiences in er's or urgent cares like the the healthcare providers wouldn't want to touch them or like were like very uncomfortable to start an iv and it's like stuff like that like you work in healthcare you know that's not how those things are spread needle stick injuries that have from an hiv patient mm-hmm. Uh, affecting a healthcare provider I think there's only been one documented case since like
0: 1990 wow 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 and
3: so it's it's things like that that we just also have to shake off and sort of get rid of that because if you're uncomfortable around the patient the patient knows that um other things particularly for trans people like it's not hard to ask somebody what they prefer to be called or give their right pronouns. It's not a complex or complicated thing. Like I always make this joke, like when I was working as a resident in the ER, People would talk about sports and football all the time. Things I knew nothing about. And they had all the names, all the stats memorized. Like, if you can do that, you can call somebody by a name that they prefer. It's so so much easier. Like, Mm -hmm. that
2: is, like, step number one. Like, the easiest thing you could do is just ask. Yeah. Before you say, hey, so-and-so. It's like you can just easily change your language. Like, hi, I'm doctor, nurse, practitioner, nurse, whoever. Mm -hmm. How can I best address you? That's
3: It doesn't have to be. And the other thing I just want to remind people, and I hear this a lot from other healthcare providers, is like, I don't get it. And like, you don't have to get it. Like, you don't have to get everything that happens in the universe around you. Like, (laughs) you just have to respect other people. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not that hard, especially if you went into this field. For the intent and purpose of caring for other people, you don't always have to get why people do the things that they do, but your job is to help them, um, and being respectful is part of helping them.
0: That's beautiful. It's so true, though. You already have done
2: like obviously you've accomplished so much in your career already, and you're in such like a niche in your field. What is like what is next for you then? Like where do you see your career going?
3: I don't know. I've kind of always just been go with the flow kind of person. Like, I would have never imagined that this is where my life would have taken me, right? Like, I didn't think I was going to be family med. And then. I got into family medicine, but I was in the middle of nowhere, Florida. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> no offense.
0: Exactly. you talking about. <laughs> but
3: like, I never would have imagined that I'd get a job out here in LA. Mm. I I never would have imagined that the practice, the practice that I work at Pacific Oaks Medical Group is in Beverly Hills. It's It was started over 40 years ago by people who took care of it was like one of the first primary care offices that took care of all the HIV patients in the area. Wow! wow. Um, and so just being able to work at a place that has such history to it and wow. learning from doctors who were there uh, in those times. Oh, I just, just got the chills. That's, yeah. Yeah. It's just, I, I never would have imagined like this is where my life would take me. And so I'm just, I'm grateful for the opportunities that I have. I'm grateful that I can, be an LGBT plus healthcare provider for people who have felt, you know, otherwise shunned by the healthcare care community. Um, and so, I don't know, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, make sure that I like it still. And, uh, and maybe
0: just, a side pottery yeah. business. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: Do you think you'd ever move back to like a smaller town mm. to bring that like awareness and treatment?
3: Currently in my <laughs> life, I would say no. But there's never <laughs> sorry, like <laughs> <Gainville>. sorry, Gainesville. <laughs> sorry. I mean, there I would never say never. Mm-hmm. Um, if it happens, it happens. Actually, you know what? That's not true. I I actually was thinking about this not too long ago. So when I was a kid and I was first thinking about being a doctor, I was like, Obviously, I wasn't aware of the whole scheme of the American healthcare system at large. Um, So I was like, oh, when I'm a doctor, also not knowing that I would be drowning in loans, I'll be rich (laughs) enough to be like, a doctor in well-off communities for six months out of the year and then go to low-income communities for six months out of the year and I was like that way I can do all the things that I want to do Balance and then both reality sides. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then reality set in and I was like ah oh, <laughs> <damn it." laughs> um but actually you know I uh I went to the Grand Canyon this past summer. We, uh, me and my partner and his family, we did a trip down the river in the Grand Canyon for a week, seven days in the Canyon. Stunning, beautiful, but also like physically exhausting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, but the whole time I was just thinking like no technology, no nothing. It was really interesting. Um, but I was like, ah, remember that dream that I had as a kid where I would like do like different parts of medicine and so I was like yeah you know at some point hopefully I figure out how to pay off these loans or someone will forgive them maybe one day I've um, got my fingers crossed <laughs> that the
2: Biden administration is gonna hold to their promise that's a whole other I feel honestly, institution if you worked as a healthcare professional during the pandemic like the loans, the loans should be gone like it pisses me off yes
3: please like
2: they should just be gone yeah maybe Finger, like you never know
3: well one day um, baby. do you get
2: like any of your loans repaid at all like b- because i mean at least for nurse practitioners i know i well it may be because your clinic um yeah is, because is where so i am yeah. i don't uh,
3: i don't get okay. that benefit because um, <sighs> i know
2: for like at least a lot bullshit. of providers that work in federally qualified health centers like fqhcs they can do uh, some loan forgiveness and yeah. loan repayment but that's not enough op- which is like such a shame Yeah, because yeah. the work that you're doing is so meaningful and so important and should be federally funded <laughs> yeah i mean all health work is so important and should but be that valid. got an <laughs> infrastructure bill or whatever they're so arguing about <laughs> that you work i mean this clinic sounds incredible that's so cool that it's like one of the first one i mean i can't even imagine what that's like even walking in there every day it's like so special are there a lot of clinics like that in la
3: i would imagine so i just don't I mean, given that I moved here in the middle of the pandemic, I've not been able to like actually meet that many other healthcare <gasps> you providers or like
0: here in the pandemic mm-hmm.
3: too. Yeah, so I really haven't gotten to meet that many people or network mm. very much. Um, but I imagine there's there's a, there's probably quite a few. But yeah, so while I was in the Grand Canyon, I was just like, you know, hopefully one day loans are forgiven, and then I do really want to. Uh, Continue the work that I do here in LA, but I would love to like for a few months out of the year go to some place that mm-hmm. is underserved, doesn't yeah. have a lot of access to healthcare, and be able to shine a light on places like that. Yeah, Cause, yeah I, I would. I mm-hmm. I was actually thinking about that this summer, so we'll see. We'll see what happens in the future.
2: Yeah, I think when people think about health disparities, they automatically assume urban, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. they assume different parts of urban cities, but r- our rural populations in the U.S have extreme health disparities and access mm-hmm. to care yeah 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 well that's the dream just find like some nice little quiet town you can get your <laughs> you can have a pottery thing. studio yes. Yes. wait can we talk more about pot- yeah, <laughs> pottery?
0: i'm I really i'm fascinated by <laughs> um, how did you find this like pottery niche oh and gift
3: so before medical school i i was a very i love did loved you watch art.
0: ghost do you love that movie
3: <laughs> don't cancel me I've never watched Ghost I need to oh, watch Ghost oh no you're Ghost. fine
1: I've, I've never I saw watched it one.
0: it's really beautiful that scene though okay. it's like well <laughs> it's intense Marcus and I are only 31 so it's i like, I'm only 36
2: <laughs> don't age me no. <laughs> it's just out of our age range. That is bad, though. We really that no, is, I need to watch. That's it. really bad for you that you do pottery and have not I watched know, that. I know, but <laughs> you know it, the it,
3: scene. It's on my it's on my to watch list. Um, but no, when I was in high school, I fell in love with doing pottery. I in high school I did pottery ceramics. It was just so 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 much fun. And then when I went to undergrad, actually first semester I went to uh, Australia, Tasmania, and I Ooh. took a whole semester of art classes is that
2: like inland australia no
3: tasmania is its own little island okay off off australia but i did a whole bunch of art classes and so i i've always loved pottery like it was super super fun and then you go into medicine and it drains all of your hobbies and like Mm -hmm. personality and etc everything from you (laughs) so now being out of medical school being out of residency i was like oh my god i have time to like be a person again and have mm-hmm. hobbies and like wow. find things I like to do um, so I found a pottery studio me and my partner took a class there for like a date night and I was like oh my god this this is I love this I forgot how much I love doing this and like not to brag but like I did pretty good <laughs> on, on, the, on the thing I made they're like wow how long have you been doing this I was like I haven't done this in 13 years <laughs> So, I just, I've just sort of been getting back into it. I'm selling pottery for, it's mostly for fun. I mean, I don't really, haven't really made that much of a profit off it. I'm not looking to make huge profit Mm -hmm. off of it. It's more just so that it's something I love doing. It's something I have so much fun doing. And also, I sell it because I don't want it to just fill up my entire apartment.
0: Yeah, true. (laughs) Well, we'll put the link in the show notes. This is something that Jackie, it's such a common theme with healthcare professionals Mm -hmm. that. We get so locked into we are the science people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And people forget. A, I think a lot of healthcare providers forget to use the creative side of their brain. I think med school, nursing mm-hmm. school beats it out of them. Oh yeah. Med school more than nursing school. But I feel like we all have that creative outlet that we need to reach back for and find because it keeps <laughs> I think it keeps <laughs> us human. Absolutely.
3: Yeah.
0: I it's like
3: No shade to anyone, but like a lot of doctors on IG, it's like, I'm a doctor. This is who I am. This I is my have personality. My six
0: pack and this is why you should do this. Yeah. And it's just like, I'm a cardboard. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you have other personality traits than yeah. just being a doctor, just being that, like, a like Type A mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. like
2: white coat mm-hmm. identity. Yeah. And yeah. I just
3: never, I've never identified as that. I like my job as a doctor. I love the work I do. I love helping my community, but like that's not, all, all you are yeah mm-hmm. it doesn't
2: define you just as you and it sounds like yeah pottery or you know art or yeah for me it's painting and drawing whatever your hobby is um danielle is stitching
0: i stitch, and a lot of things paint, i you do it all <laughs> I do it all but it's just like you
3: need something <laughs> that like feeds your soul absolutely yeah. because healthcare is like daunting like it yeah. drains you like you have good moments but there's also terrible yeah. moments yeah. yeah
2: Um. so I'm like I'm like picturing this scene of you and your partner at this pottery class and your poor partner probably, probably looks like, like ghosts yeah this is my partner he's a doctor and yeah he's great at pottery too it's like what are you not good at Marcus I could just like that's what I'm picturing in my brain
3: <laughs> truly I would be so annoyed dating me but he he's truly the most supportive wonderful oh, human being so it's great that's amazing because yeah I would get annoyed with myself too <laughs> he's
2: like why are you so and <laughs> right, so, do you have like this new pottery all over your house like i know you said you're trying to sell some mm-hmm. but like have you what have you made in it what have you made so far yeah what's um, your favorite thing to make
3: i so uh, i'm terrible with remembering names there's a few pottery accounts that i've followed and they've really they have really interesting shapes and sort of designs i post them on my stories all the time i'm terrible remembering names but um I just like making very angular, weird sort of shapes that you don't normally see with pottery. Yeah. Um, I like making weird looking mugs. My favorite thing to make are noses. I don't know why. I just love making noses. So my most recent thing is just like I, I make pieces and I put noses on all of them. And it's just like really fun. It's like different. And then that's what's so fun about it is that every nose is completely different. And like, there's crooked noses, big noses, small noses. I, I just, that. I love noses. I don't know why.
2: Wait, we're do, you, unpack do you think that one? You,
0: you missed your calling and you should be doing a bunch of like rhinoplasties <laughs> or something? <laughs> yeah. The aesthetic part of the aesthetic nurse in Daniella is like, huh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> do you need to do a surgery fellowship as well? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Oh, I love
2: that. Well, this has been such a pleasure to have you on the WOMED. Where can people find you?
3: Um you can find me on Instagram at Dr D O C T O R dot T E L L E Z. I have a YouTube, I don't really use it. There's some videos, they're fun. You can check that out. I have a TikTok. Um, I don't really I shamelessly use
0: it. I have looked at your YouTube <laughs> channel. <laughs> You guys, Jackie does this. She is she preps so much harder. I like she says like I I wing a lot of these things more. Our balance, but she does deep dives on like everybody. So I know she's probably watched every single one. They're so
3: fun to make. I'm also yes, I
2: do deep dive on all of our guests because I just like I like to be prepared. I feel like when I'm and I
0: need that prepared, I feel more confident. Nervous about things that I'm like I'm just not gonna do it. Regardless,
2: like I was telling Marcus before this interview, like I'm a huge fan of yours. It's like embarrassing. Like I needed, to, I was like nervous today. I was like, oh my gosh, Mark is coming over. Like, you know, play a cool Jackie. <laughs> but no, I am a huge fan. And I just think that um, your perspective and your creativity and the way that you make... <laughs> Health education fun is not just like, it's not just fun for healthcare professionals, but that's the best way that patients are going to learn and people yeah. are going to learn. So, mm-hmm. um, your YouTube videos are fucking hilarious. Like, I don't know if you like, like, what apps you use to like create some of these like sounds and like the images. And like, I don't know what apps you're using, but like, you need to start making more YouTube videos. So like <laughs> thank
3: you. <laughs> yes.
2: So, yes. And please follow Marcus on Instagram because yeah. like this is a very bold statement, but you are literally my favorite person on
3: social media. That
2: like, means, oh my yes. God. No, no,
0: I'm serious. <laughs> like literally. I get it though. Lot. I get That's,
3: it. <laughs> I, I really do appreciate that set of it. You know, I I love what I do. I love talking about the topics that I do. And, you know, not to like put a chip on my shoulder, but like, I do feel very excluded from a lot of like healthcare sort of social media things. Um, So I very much appreciate being welcomed on this podcast to talk about what I love and do.
0: Well, you're welcome anytime. And if anything ever comes up where you're like, hey, I really need to get this off my chest. Like, can you all jump on Zoom and we can record an episode? this is your space. Yeah. Or if you just
2: decide that you want to go full time with pottery and you want to, you know, promote it (laughs) here.
0: Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Well, we're recording this outro a couple weeks after meeting Marcus and Jack is still beaming. I mean, of course I am. And now I
2: found out Marcus is making more nose pieces. So if you are interested, you have to go on his Etsy page, follow along with Marcus. You can find him on Instagram at Dr. Telez. That's D-O-C-T-O-R dot Tellez,
0: T-E-L-L-E-Z. Our Apple podcast reviews are also slowly growing and we can't thank you enough. If you have a second to like, follow and review the WOMED Honestly, on whatever platform you like to listen to us, that would be so helpful and so appreciated. And just to show you how much Jack and I appreciate and love you, we will send you the most stupendous WOMED gift bag of goodies if you leave the 1,000th review on Apple Podcasts. Stupendous.
2: Yes. All right. (laughs) On that note,
0: we hope you have an amazing week. WOMED out. Out.